Okay, you guys got got stuff? Should I just start my thing? No, no we just need go. some jokes. Just go? I think it's better when you don't plan the jokes. Oh, okay, well then I'll... No, I already wrote the jokes. Okay, go with your one planned joke. We don't know the punchline yet, so we'll laugh. Because we're paid to. Not really a joke. More like a sponsor. But it's a joke sponsor, right? Or is this like a serious... Well, let's just find out. Am I that predictable? It's actually a mystery. We have no idea. This is, no, we're yes, we're yes. excited to see what happens here. It could be anything. This is the Stack Exchange Podcast, episode 60, recorded live Tuesday, July 8th, 2014 at Stack Exchange headquarters in New York City, New York where 8 million people enjoy the benefits of democracy and are tempted by the smell of rotting garbage. Today's podcast is brought to you by the National Pepper Jack Cheese Council, a delicious <laughs> cheese snack that includes spicy hot peppers for flavor. Today's podcast, VP of Community, Jay Hanlon, VP of Engineering, David Florton, and I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. Hello, everybody. Hi. Good morning. Welcome. I'd like to point out I'm also doubling as fake producer Abby in her now permanent absence really? from the office. Wait, I heard her on the... Well, she was she's in the cans. Here. She's, I'm a ghost. she's ghost producer Abby. Okay. He's calling in from where are you? All right. Utah. 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 The magic of the internet. So I had to set up the mics and stuff. All he's... right, Abby, you can join Alex tied up in the basement. Whoa. Weird. This got real. Okay. We don't. So need good you. job, David. We're talking and then we can hear ourselves. Yeah, though to be clear, any problems are still Abby's fault. Perfect. <laughs> I think Jay had some community milestones yes. to go over. Community <laughs> milestones. Community milestones. We need we're a gonna, jingle. We're going to do these more quickly because they're all new sites. There's not that much to talk about yet. So I think last time we spoke, Puzzling was just launching. So that's now in public beta. That site is all about crosswords and Sudoku and logic puzzles and both how to design them and some of the concepts around building more complex versions, game theory. Things like that seems to be getting some good engagement. Data science also launched right around then. and It's data science. Da data, data science, and seems to be doing a little better than previous iterations of it. We've also got Craft CMS, I think, is in public beta since we last talked. It is yet another CMS site, which always seem to do surprisingly. Another beer site, I hope. No, no. That's what we need is another more narrow beer site. No. Can you imagine if we just only made CMS sites? We'd, we'd be it's busy. It's like hard enough trying to explain to people what rich. we do. Turns out there's a lot of CMSs out there, and they have very passionate communities. So. Your grandparents say, oh, little David, he works on answering questions on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I have had that conversation with my no. grandparents. But can you imagine Multiple if it was times, just about they CMSs? They have no idea what's going on. You have to be like, no, not any kind of question, Grandma. It's only content management. Oh, it doesn't matter. I think if my grandparents asked me what a CMS was, now. forget the Q&A site about a CMS, I would just say yeah. it's one of those unusual fruity sandwiches they yeah. sell in those shops that press oh, everything sandwiches. that you hate. So we could just move on to the next topic. I don't think I would try to get into the whole... Anyway. Craft CMS, now in public then beta. your grandmother would tell you about every single visit that she ever made to a, to a sandwich press store. But that's a safer conversation than the one about trying to explain yeah. how I work on a site that answers questions without answering questions. There's still people that think that Fog Creek, because it, we, we had fog bugs, which is bug tracking and then Copilot, that still think that I fix people's computers on the internet. And so I have, you know, distant shall we say, quote-unquote relatives who still send me email describing their computer problems in great detail. For what it's worth, nobody here thinks you help anyone on the internet, Joel. There and, is, we don't have and they're like, I would be perfectly happy to pay if that's what it's going to take <laughs> to get you to fix my computer. You should quote an hourly rate. What's your hourly rate for speaking engagements? Just quote them that. Uh, no, it's not. It's, the, it's, no. So we've also got, we have two more, two more two sites. Two more sites. We launched on the same week, a Buddhism and a Hinduism site. 
which is pretty exciting. Separate sites. We think there's only limited bandwidth for these types of topics, so we're going to really w <laughs> watch them carefully. And which Wait, what? <laughs> what? There's limited Re bandwidth religion. for these types there's of topics? There's only so I much just, that people have to so say about religion. There's so much arguing you can do about religion. <laughs> Although the Buddhism site had some really interesting conversations about whether sort of a course of study and faith that is so dedicated to respect for others was a good fit for our model. And there were some interesting meta discussions around whether they were set up well for downvoting and the like. And the conclusion was they could, they could make it work just like everybody else does. But all doing pretty well, pretty exciting out of the gate. And the Buddhism side in particular, I think we've seen a lot of very interesting kinds of conversations about the Buddhist approach to certain types of interactions on the site on Meta. So check it out. They also talk about meditation practice there as well. Those are our new Community Milestone sites. Should we do featured community or new features first? Do we have a jingle or music for this? You know, our last four listeners have already turned the show off, so we might as well. <laughs> Let's talk about features, and then we'll hit our featured community quickly. We want to fight some more about low-quality stuff, I think, and we've got another topic if we get to it. The secret topic. But you've launched like 100 features since we last Okay. Yes. Yeah, well, it's been a while since we did a podcast, so we did a bunch of things. Just going to highlight a few. My last favorite... podcast, it was snowing, just to give you an example of That's right. how long ago it was. It was also during an ice age. Yeah. Okay, so my, the first one, which has my favorite name, um, which came from the community team. The name of this feature was Curtail Recidivism of Q-Blocked slash Suspended Accounts on Deletion. Perfectly clear what that's about. The idea here is just we had a problem, which was that if we blocked you or suspended your account and then you self-deleted, you could then create a new account and we would forget that you had ever been suspended. So now we don't. Turns out if you get suspended and you create a new account, you're not any more likely to be a better stack exchange citizen. So we continue to block you. But it's worth pointing out, it's not a complete block. It's a, you can only post so many things per, I think one question a week, I think is the, the bottom of the barrel. So we launched that. That's part of sort of ongoing quality work. That was sort of one small thing we did. Isn't there a new badge? There's a new badge, not at all related to that feature, but the new set of badges, which are the question asking badges, which have clever names, curious, inquisitive, and Socratic. Wow. So these are for asking what we're calling a well-received question on multiple days. So the idea here is we want to reward, in addition to the badges we have for asking, you know, highly upvoted questions, those are really for like super popular questions, 10, 25, 100 upvotes. This is for just having sort of a consistent pattern of asking good questions, which we wanted to reward on all the sites. It's especially important for news sites where the limit to growth on a lot of these sites is just people not asking a lot of questions. And so we wanted to encourage people to just get in the habit of asking questions on those sites. And then on, on our bigger sites like Stack Overflow, we want to, again, reward asking good questions. And then that kind of the second part kicks in more on Stack Overflow, which is that you have to maintain a positive question record. So there we kind of look at your whole history and say, okay, on the whole, are you asking more good questions than bad questions, weighting bad questions more heavily? So you can't earn the badge unless you've got kind of a good track record. We may have talked before about this. We realized that on a lot of sites, questions are the bottleneck. So we're see what we basically see is a question generates 21-ish, depends site to site, downstream actions. Those are answers, votes, comments, other types of engagement. And what we realized was on most sites, Stack Overflow, there's probably only a handful of exceptions, maybe math. There appear to be a decent core community there to answer, but not enough questions to kind of keep them busy. And we actually ran a couple of like rough tests ahead of this to see basically if we added decent questions would it just move activity, kind of cannibalize answers and spread them around? And we found that it, it did actually generate more answers. We basically created new questions. A handful of us on the parenting site basically doubled the question count. 
And what we found was the new questions got just as many downstream actions and the questions we didn't generate continued to. So basically there was surplus sort of resources available to answer and engage with questions if there were more. And we realized is what we mostly want is more questions from our most active users mm -hmm. um, who have stuff from their past that they've run into, struggled with, but now know the answer to, et cetera, or just that they find in their day-to-day -day life. Wait, you want them to ask questions that they know the answer to? It sounds like we could argue about that for a while. We could, but let's not right now. The key we wanted basically <laughs> was to take the people who argue. are most qualified to ask and remind them. The badges are really a nudge, right? They're, they're not designed to kind of motivate you to do something you might not otherwise, but sort of to remind people that if you run into a problem and it takes you a half hour to solve it today, but you solve it, you actually should go, if it took you that long, and probably toss it on the site and see if someone else can answer it and then put what you found. That would be nice. I don't know what there's to argue about here. We, I mean, we added the thing, the self-answer a year or two ago, right? That's where true. you can now answer your own question as you ask it to prevent mm -hmm. the weirdness where you ask a question intending to answer and then... Well, you're typing up your beautiful answer, somebody answers it, and then they feel bad because they wasted their time because you were going to answer your own question anyway. And I think there's a whole bunch of places yeah. where we've given the misimpression that answerers are really important, which is true, but that askers are essentially in a taking mode. Well, we don't have to give that impression. That's just the way society works. Well, I think there's uh, what we need to sort of... There are rules, Jay. Yes, yes. There's givers and there's takers. But I think we really wanted to kind of reinforce that people that can ask good questions are actually creating a very important stub almost, right? Like a Wikipedia stub that says, this is something that is of use to people, which makes it much, much easier for an answer to hop in and answer rather than to come up with something I think is worth writing about. So anyway, we're really excited well, about this. So to be clear on that, I think it's still, we're not backing away from the idea that on the whole, we're optimizing for answers, not questions. That's right. That, that is still the focus of Stack Exchange. It's all, it's about the answers and it's about answers to good questions. It's just that when you swing so far in the way of answers, what we see on some of the news sites is, you know, there's people just waiting around hoping somebody will ask them a question so they can answer it. When they actually know some things and they could start building that library of, you know, questions that people are asking on the internet but not getting a good answer, they could just start building that library themselves. On Stack Overflow, you know, the danger is we swing so far towards saying, oh, we're optimizing for answers, not questions, that we start to feel like the question doesn't matter, or that asking good questions is not rewarded. And we definitely don't want to do that, right? Because that's part of the whole reinforcement thing is we want to train people to ask good questions and to be rewarded for asking good questions. Do you think this is really going to make a difference, just having one more badge is that can actually increase the number of questions that are asked? It will make a difference, but it's not going to revolutionize the world. We should do something to revolutionize the world. That's a good idea. Good idea. What about uh, clean... Water. Okay. Okay. I like it. Let's um, take a, let's take a uh, listener question. <laughs> <laughs> As though we had listeners. All right. <laughs> Dial tone sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> mm, okay. What other features do you have? Okay. Let me us? just run through real quickly some of the other features. We redesigned the StackExchange.com homepage. You can take what? a look at that. Uh, it's not a, completely different. It's not that different, but we switched it back. If you're a long, long time listener, you wow. know that a long time ago, the StackExchange homepage was interesting questions from the whole network. And then we decided that was stupid. We should show well, we didn't more have information about yet. Stack Exchange. And then now we decided to switch back and say, that's stupid. We should show the interesting questions. So we're showing the interesting questions again. That's not the story as other people who are in favor of this feature would have told it. Other features. We we also was part of. Wait, of part wait! Of you that. gotta sell that. You gotta oh, sell that, man. David. Listen, your homepage of your whole browser, like when you start your browser and it goes to a page, it should just be StackExchange.com. Mine's Google. Well, I feel like this that's is more better. Useful. Google now. Google 
You can just type the questions into the That's true. It's built into my URL box. Bar. Yeah, exactly. So your homepage might as well be Stack Exchange. Mine's the wait, actually how, mine's wait, the wait, homepage wait. that shows me my wait, common sites. When you say homepage, it's got eight sites that I visit. Can I like change? what your browser brings up when you Mine just Mine goes to AltaVista because that's how it was set up when I got my computer. Is that <laughs> yeah. not I can change that? AltaVista.com. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the idea if I were if I were <laughs> trying to sell it. Yeah. If I were trying to sell it, right. So the idea is that there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens all over the Stack Exchange network. And this is now the one place you can go to actually find that and see a sampling of interesting questions. And we're going to keep improving that slowly as time goes on to make it interesting. Where does infoseek.com go? Okay, other small features. We redesigned the hiring page. If you want to work here, there's now a new Lycos work here page. We are hiring. Oh, Lycos still exists. How weird. Hill.com. We redesigned the... Juno.com. It's a surprising that these things are still around. We redesigned the mobile website. You can take a look at that by visiting Stack Overflow or any Stack Exchange site from your mobile device, unless it's a BlackBerry. Looks a lot more like the app. Um, Net zero. The community bulletin on the side got redesigned. You can read about that on Meta. And on Careers, we added city pages. So you can go to the homepage of Careers and you'll see a nice selection of beautiful city pages where you can find out more about what it's like to be a developer in say london or new york or san francisco and that's all the new features i have all of them that's everything that we did for the last two months except for the secret stuff i'm not allowed to talk about you should sell it city pages are amazing let's say for example well actually i'm pretty sure the city pages are kind of boring and we're going to end up i was trying to go through them fast so we could talk about the more oh wait we just said there's no more exciting we've actually talked about city pages before i think okay I've certainly been in enough meetings about that. They're live now, but I think we talked about them on the podcast and we were kind of envisioning them in that they sort of expanded this sort of browsing experience, people who dream of a different life, not just those who are looking for a specific job right this moment. So let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk quickly about our featured community and then we can fight about quality a little more and then maybe if we get to it, talk about the site kind of life cycle. Our featured community... Featured uh, community... This week, featured community is UX, our UX site, which is user experience. Yeah, it uh, has UX. like a little... Like a half of a star there. It's kind of weird. You're saying as a user, you can't figure out what the logo is meant to convey. But our UX site, I think is actually pretty cool. One thing I like about it is it spans both what most people would assume it to be, which is a lot of things that relate to sort of the design of websites or apps, a kind of software design. So it has things like one great question, question number 31359, should error messages apologize? And the user, oh my gosh, I did not notice this before. The user's name is Joel Fan. I just changed that. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. This is, uh, he's, sorry, it's a typo. He, he likes someone named Joe, and it's just a really bad speller is the best guess. But Joel Fan asked, should user messages apologize? And it starts this debate about sort of, are we conveying the wrong information when it frames it sort of in the context of they should probably only apologize when the software has caused some problem or it can't do something it should be able to, as opposed to that the user has sort of done something they, they kind of weren't meant to. And that, how do I figure out and find that line? And it's one of those great answers that doesn't say this because these are UX experts and they're very polite and they talk around it, but it basically says you shouldn't do that. You're thinking about it the wrong way. So what they're talking about here is somebody's got an error message in their app that says, I'm sorry, your password is incorrect. Right. So the question essentially is around those, you know, should it say, sorry, you don't have permission to change that or sorry, you know, you can't enter numbers in this field that asks what your name is, et cetera. And the question is, you know, when is it most appropriate? Whose fault should it be to use the word apology? And there's a great answer that basically says the point of an apology here is not to help convey to the user whether they or the software did something wrong, 
the point of an apology is sort of the core point of what an apology is meant to do, which is to convey to people um, that you regret they are encountering a frustrating situation in the hopes of making them sort of interested in listening to the rest of the things you have to say. And that the reason to use an apology is actually to improve the user's mood and sense of frustration and has nothing to do with fault. And what's cool about it is it actually quotes, there's a whole bunch of sources from sort of the Apple and Microsoft user design, as well as kind of some social science -y stuff. And that's one example. There's other ones like that. I won't read the specific question, but um, there's a great question. Should yes, delete it, be red or green? And the question is when you have kind of a yes, delete it or a no, keep it set of choices, what's the right color scheme? And again, the answer is one of those that says neither of those is right. And there's an awesome answer that basically makes delete bright red a little bit scary. And cancel is kind of a light gray because it's keeping it a fault state. But so there's software-y stuff like that. Like at what point are computers going to stop apologizing to us? Um, when you stop doing everything wrong, I would assume. <laughs> They're just going to be like, you know what? Actually, I don't really give a damn. No, you, you, no. You can't get in. It's not me. No it's you. Yeah. You type the wrong thing. That could be and part I'm of the, sorry you were offended, but... Maybe that's part of the Turing test. It's sort of like the Facebook non-apology that they did this week. Where I guess Facebook conducted experiments no, no, on its users. Real humans issue fake apologies. Yeah, you're not being fair, Joel. They're very sorry that we felt that way. Exactly. <laughs> we did not anticipate you would be so angry irrationally. And if you yeah. are, we wish you weren't. Yeah. Back exactly. Backhanded apology. That's good. <laughs> it's Passive a fake aggressive apology. apology. Like, I'm sorry you feel like you need an apology. I'm sorry you were offended by what I said. But isn't that almost always what the computers are doing when they're like, sorry, wrong password? Uh, no, okay, so Sorries. I think you shouldn't sorry. apologize. Sorry, wrong password. Yeah. Sorry should be, I think what the answer is saying is sorry should be reserved for cases where the app did something wrong. The app did something wrong. Oh, no, I, no, I no, no, that's what was having... implied in the question. I'm sorry. The, the answer I, says you're thinking you of it wrong. deleted that file. <laughs> the reason to lead with I'm sorry is not to convey whose fault it was. The reason <laughs> you might lead with I'm sorry is if you want to basically reflect that you're sympathetic to the user's likely frustration for having encountered this scenario. Which makes them more. You see, I'm sorry. You're upset. That's true. Yes. Sorry doesn't. Yes. Sorry doesn't really mean but it's my fault. I'm it's not like, actually sorry because I am software that has no feelings. Correct. So, sorry, I didn't really understand what you were trying to say there. Could you say it again? That's not the. It's well. It's well, trying to take sort of take <sighs> fault on yourself to make them feel better. But 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 you are not a thing. You're just a, the dumb computer that every time the computer anthropomorphizes itself. You're not talking to a computer. Is that more a Buddhist or a Hindustani kind of approach to things? Thank you. Don't you think it's like dehumanizing where your computer is pretending to be just a little bit more human? No, no. it's communication. But yeah. it's not between people. In order people. to talk with humans, yeah. talk like a human. Oh. That's right. And it's, it's also, it's not like you're Actually talking. Terrifying. You envision that the Don't software. Don't you think, wasn't C-3PO the most annoying robot? <laughs> But R2-D2 was way cooler. And to be fair, yeah, and R2-D2 didn't apologize for nothing. C-3PO was pretty much his whole job. He was a protocol robot. His entire job was He was, was our apologize. English language and usage site, basically. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, I rather agree. So you that think robots like should just chirp at, at you, basically, uh -huh. would be superior. More, more he, he did make sort of anthropomorphized noises, right? R2-D2 yeah. made, like, mournful noises. He was like a Furby. You know how he felt. He, you knew how he felt, but you're right, he didn't really apologize. He just yeah. kind of, he took action when action was needed. The best thing about the original Furby yeah. was that it did all these weird things. It had all these weird, like, documented behaviors. You were supposed to feed it and do this stuff. But totally undocumented is you couldn't make it be quiet. It was in a state of perpetual, like, it would be woken up by light and stuff. You couldn't, there was no, like, off button for the Furby. And so when you really lost it, you'd be like, F this. And you'd go to, you'd take the batteries out. 
And when you contact the internal battery screw with metal that you yeah. have to take out, yeah. it would shriek in a way <laughs> that was a noise it never made in normal operation. And it was like one of these, like, it was like a Spielberg movie. Like you freaked out, you dropped it. It was, it was <laughs> awesome. It was so ingenious because it's like this Easter egg. nightmares. It was awesome. Also, if you feed them after midnight. Now you're thinking, I think you're thinking of children. Oh, right. Or Gremlins. Um, but they also, it's not just software that stuff. That movie? What was that movie where there yeah, was that little... Gremlins. Was Gremlins. Yeah. Gremlins is also, you remember it as a kid's movie? It is yeah. a violent, violent movie. Gremlins yeah. is not a kid's movie. Super hardcore. Oh, yeah. It's more, it's pretty much horror. Finding the, Nemo. The genre yeah. there would be horror. Yes, but it's like a Spielberg small... T anyway. UX also has cool, um, what I would categorize a little more as like design of everyday things. So like just thinking about how humans interact sure. with machines. One of the questions I Great love. Lots of, lots of good stuff on there. Last question. I'm just gonna hit it real quick. It's so awesome. Question yeah, number three, four, awesome. one, two, six. This question three, was. Three, four, one, two, six. It is how can users be prevented from pouring water into the bean compartment of a coffee machine? Oh, awesome. Near to your heart, Joel. The asker here was user Sharptooth. I'm not, I'm very concerned about any kind of coffee machine that you put both beans and water into. Well, so people do talk about how, like, in a great coffee machine, one solution is that the water is just piped in, so you'd never do hey, it. Hey, look at the first answer. Wow. The first answer is epic. It is great. And part of what I love about it is it evolved over time. This was a great example of where, basically, oh, did. one answer that was not this answer. Somebody, uh, let me actually give him credit, because he should get credit. So user Trisweb said, make the user open a drawer to place the beans inside. Once closed, the drawer simply opens into the bean can normally. But his key point is water doesn't go in drawers. And people kind of know that, that if you pull a drawer out, it is a very different than a tube on top. Actually at my house. Pretty yeah. rare. If you've ever tried to empty a dehumidifier, you oh, discover that don't, don't even get me <laughs> there started. are drawers of water all over people's basements. The humidifier market is ripe for disruption. But so that wound up getting incorporated. The top answer here is awesome. What he basically described was sort of a angled slide that you pour the beans onto. But important to it was it had visible holes in it, smaller than coffee beans. So that essentially when you look down at it, you could see, A, there are holes in it, which means it's not a thing you pour water into. No, you couldn't. And the second thing was that much of the water would probably fall through them. Yeah. Um, but because of the angle, some water might run in, et cetera. And so what he wound up doing was incorporating, someone in this later answer had suggested a drawer, and he said a, making it a drawer further reinforces water doesn't go here. Plus, a drawer creates a flat bottom design so that when you pull it out, you've got now a drawer you pulled out full of visible holes in the bottom. It is completely obvious that you can't pour water in it. And if you did, it would actually all drain out. And it was just a really, there's a lot of cool stuff like that. What I like here is it, there's a lot of incorporating it. So the top answer actually has all of the best thing. And he's got kind of call outs to all the people who contributed with other answers. But anyway, great site, ux.stackexchange.com. All right. We talk a little bit about quality. We've Let's been, take a listener's question. Very, questions from our listeners. Ben Collins again. points out that washing machines often take liquids in a drawer. Washing machines do take liquids in a drawer. That is a very, that's true. That fairly. Oh my, you know what? They, I, <laughs> I don't want to know. Here's a mistake you can make. Oh, if, I can't wait. If you have a washing machine with one of those little drawers, you're supposed to put the liquid in. You put coffee which beans is the in soap. there. <laughs> never and... put coffee. See, there's no way to know you shouldn't put coffee beans in there. <laughs> well, okay, because you would never imagine that you need coffee in your clothes. But if you take one of those pods, one of those washing machine pods and put it in there, it's, it's like a little plastic bag that has the exact right oh, amount. Oh, those are great, except they go in the dishwasher. I found your problem. No, no, they have them for washing machines. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Tide pods, they're called. Okay. It, yeah, and if you put one of them in there, it creates a complete and utter disaster. You're not supposed to put them in there. Good yeah. to know. So for our listeners that were trying to wash their laundry as they were listening to this, don't do that. 
And also the coffee beans. Yeah. Okay. Should we talk about quality some more? We had a great fight about this last time. This place grapple. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll sit up. I'll sit up and participate. Joel, I, I feel like when producer Abby a, was here glaring at you, you were better behaved. I feel like slightly. we need a photo of this moment. Joel is like... I, I'm slid down out of my chair like to, a child in fifth grade. Oh, uh, I missed my chance to get the photo. I wasn't quick enough on the draw. So, quality. You care about this, Joel. Okay, I do care about quality. So we talked about this last time on Stack Overflow. Briefly, the problem is that the perceived quality on Stack Overflow and the actual quality on Stack Overflow has been in decline for years. What? No, we talked about this last time. We decided that it's not true, and we came up with a solution anyway, and we moved on. Oh, that's what we're about to do. Sorry, did I just jump ahead? We've done things. We've learned things. Yeah. Okay, so... Last time we just ranted. Now we've, we've actually looked at stuff. So, yeah, we actually ran some numbers okay. and things. Let's okay, see if so... I can remember. To summarize, last time... Previously on the Stack Exchange podcast... We had a bunch of bitching about the quality of questions on Stack Overflow going down. And I said, you know what? It probably just seems that way because quality of questions on the homepage is particularly terrible. And what we should try to do is get better questions on the homepage. At least so it looks better. Right? Yes, that was that, that was the crux. I think brief, of our conversation last a time. brief summary. Yes, yes. that was what we talked summary. about. Okay, okay, so cool. So I did some looking into this. Actually, a lot of the discussion revolved around how do we get the homepage to show more high quality stuff? Because right now it's just showing sort of the same general stuff, and what it should really be doing is giving more airtime to good questions and less airtime to bad questions. Then we realized, looking at it more, that actually what it was doing it wasn't even being neutral in terms of showing good versus bad questions on the Stack Overflow homepage, it was actually being sort of actively harmful in that it was actually highlighting malicious unanswered questions. So what it was trying to do, the intention was good. You can read more about this in the MetaPost. There's an old blog post that explains why we made the change. Basically, the goal was to show more unanswered stuff so people could find stuff to answer on the homepage. So we said, just weight down anything that already has an answer or a lot of upvotes or a lot of views because we basically figure, okay, that's... That got answered. That that's got answered. Well uh, sort of a lot of answer upvotes. So let's just kind of drop it off the homepage so we can show more unanswered stuff, right? So unfortunately, the effect... And this is only on Stack Overflow. Other sites still do just a generic show the most recently touched stuff. Yeah. Stack Overflow, we favored unanswered stuff. But of course, the effect of that is, figure your average question comes in and it's of average quality. It gets answered very quickly and very quickly drops off the homepage. Your average great question comes in and gets answered even more quickly and drops off the homepage even faster. Your average terrible question comes in and nobody can figure out what this thing is even asking. So nobody can answer it. They leave some comments. They downvote it. And meanwhile, it's just sitting around on the homepage because nobody knows how to answer this thing. And so basically what you see is that like the good questions get answered quickly. The bad questions sit around on the homepage. So net result is it looks like we got a bunch of bad questions. The the net result is that it looks like we got a bunch of bad questions. And it looks like none of the questions on Stack Overflow are getting answered when in fact they're just getting answered and falling off the homepage. And then people are like, Stack Overflow is over. It's being, and then they come up with all kinds of theories to support this. We're being overrun by new people who just learned how to, so, well, okay. so to be fair, there is, there is still a problem in that there's still a high volume of questions coming in and a lot of them are junk and there's stuff we can do there. But the homepage was sort of giving a misleading snapshot of the site and kind of doing a thing we explicitly didn't want to do, which is giving more airtime to bad questions. Right. So we're working on a new algorithm there. We put out a first pass at this. It wasn't perfect. We got a lot of feedback. We're working on a new version, but basically... Wait, is there something that's changed like right now if I go to stackoverload.com? You can go to... You can go to... No. So it's stackoverload.com... Still the same. Question mark tab equals recommended. So we 
kind of deliberately hit it because changing the homepage of Stack Overflow is a scary thing and we want to be pretty... Ah, move fast, break things. Pretty okay. careful about it. Yep. So you can see the new recommended tab is doing a couple things. One, it's not filtering out unanswered stuff. And two, it's doing a similar kind of weighting towards the tags that you're interested in, but it's actually doing a weighted random over those tags instead of just taking the top ones and showing you all of those. Okay. So the effect is that basically you see a broader distribution. You'll still see a lot of unanswered stuff on the homepage because a lot of the stuff that's recently touched is unanswered and people still use the homepage to find things to answer. So we still want to show that. But now you see more of a mix of some answered stuff, some highly upvoted stuff and so on. It's not perfect. We're still working on it. The point here is just that we realized that there is probably a problem here and we're working on some solutions from that angle, just the homepage algorithm. Right. One of the strongest filters we had before was anything that tangibly indicates answerability or the interest of others to answer took things out of the homepage. And so you had a severe adverse selection just right? about, that was yeah. displayed. Yeah. Though upvotes actually did get you more time on the homepage. The problem is people have this idea of like, show me the upvoted stuff that's not answered yet. And the true answer is that there's vanishingly small amounts of that. The number of questions that are upvoted but not answered is really tiny. People upvote only when they read a question and answer that they think is amazing. And they're like, everybody should read this amazing question and this ridiculously good answer. And that's yeah. when they start upvoting. Yeah. And the good questions, yeah. that the kind that you would upvote, get answers. Right. Right. We still do a pretty good job of that. Now, there's, yeah, there's, there's always niche stuff that we can do better at, right? It's possible to get way out into the long tail where there's only, you know, 100 people in the world who could possibly answer your question and they don't always find it. So there are good questions that don't get answered. But for the most part... If you think you're going to find really great questions to answer by just filtering down to what's upvoted and doesn't have an answer yet, you're going to find you're in a pretty small pile of questions. Mm -hmm. And the fact that somebody looked at it, thought, this is a good question, I'm going to upvote it, but I don't know the answer, probably means it's really hard as well. Ouch. Okay, so that's the first change. The other direction we're attacking this from, and this is kind of new, or we talked about this, but we've got a fuller sense of what the pipeline's going to be here. We've got a new low-quality algorithm. We're still tweaking it. <laughs> Sort of a funny name. So, it's the low quality algorithm. So it's a way to rate the quality on a question. There are better algorithms than this. It's not a very good algorithm. It's not bad. <laughs> you know what we should we call it, David? We should, we should call it the high quality algorithm. And then just say if you have a low score on the high quality algorithm. Uh, sorry, it is the quality yeah. score algorithm, is actually what it should be called. Yeah. We're trying to score the quality of a question. We have an existing thing that does this, but yeah. it's a little. Um, it mostly just looks for sentences starting with lowercase. Yeah, and it gives up if the body is too long. It's like, oh, it's long enough. It must be good. It's um, a horse that only that only knows how to write code in PHP, and he just stomps this hoof when we put a question in front of him, and then we move it to one key or another. So, so we're, we're doing some... So we've done some science, and we've got, we've yeah, got yeah. some... Then we're a scientist boiling over Okay, right you're now. right. We didn't do we, we didn't do actual science. We we just ran some we did some statistics <laughs> Was it maybe. Published in a peer-reviewed academic <laughs> journal? I don't think so. <laughs> Okay, so we we did some sort of machine learning, basic, basic machine learning stuff of grab a bunch of questions and all their words and some interesting features that we kind of compute, like how much code do they have as a ratio of their body, uppercase and lowercase letters, and so on. Throw that into a tool called Vopal Wabbit and let Wabbit? it... <laughs> Vopal Wabbit. Okay. Is that a typo? Nope. <laughs> it, it is so named because that's how Elmer Fudd would say Vorpal Rabbit. Oh... Pesky Wabbit. So, so you throw it in Vopal Wabbit, and it builds a predictor, basically. Be very quiet. I'm hunting Wabbit. Try to predict whether this is a good or a bad question. So you feed it a bunch of questions. You tell them whether it's good or bad. It spits out a model, which basically weights each of these features and says, okay, this is either indicative of goodness or indicative of badness. 
So we've got that. There's some interesting things that we found in there. We kind of feed it everything and it tells us what it thinks is interesting. So code ratio turns out to be really interesting. The amount of code you have in your question is really indicative of goodness or badness. Mm -hmm. And sort of the extremes are what's interesting, right? So having no code is bad or having... Tons ten, of code. ten times, you know, ninety percent of your post is code. Uh, right, both of those are bad. Barbell distribution. Okay, that that's about what you'd expect. Yes, no. Having one tag is bad. Mm. Actually, it's really bad. Rising number of one tag posts are bad posts. Wow. Not having very many capital letters in your body, yep. or not having the first letter of your title be a capital letter, yeah, or not to be very predictive. Yep, yep, yep. I, re- I remember once I hired a team of eight people to go through all the questions and capitalize them correctly. You did. It turns out that doesn't actually improve the quality of the question. <laughs> it's not so much that a question with a capital letter is a better question. It's that somebody who didn't bother to capitalize the first letter of their question likely wrote a bad question. To be fair, you can yeah. see how their optimization plan, like if capitalizing the first letter drove a 2% increase, capitalizing all the letters, you would have thought was really yeah. <laughs> going to be a big positive outcome. But it sure was. People didn't like it. No. In fact, that's how we lost the uh, Vegemite contract. <laughs> Screaming at them <laughs> in, our, in our email letters. Yeah, you may notice that Vegemite is no longer a sponsor of the podcast. Oh, having an email address in your post is bad. Oh, having wow. a URL good. is good. Okay. URL is good. Email address bad. That's interesting. Using unusual words in your title or body is good. So you're probably using technical terms instead of just help me with this PHP problem. Ending your question with for me to poop on, very negative indicator. Really we, not good question. We also ran some Anything things. about making emoji um, aquaria? Aquaria? Well, there's a lot of emoji fish, and you can make a little block of fish. Like 20 by 5 block of fish. I feel like anybody can make an aquarium with emoji. With emoji. You got to yeah. do it with ASCII if you want to impress people. Okay. Okay, so emoji. I'll go ahead and text you one. I didn't test specifically for emoji, but I did pull in the existing algorithm tests for the presence of ASCII smiley faces. So only right-facing ASCII smiley faces, not left-facing ones. So Probably it catches most of them. Right. The normal way of typing that. That turned out to be not very predictive, for the record. Typing smiley faces there doesn't happen enough, or it is just not very predictive. Nice people use smiley faces too, presumably. Um, okay, so then there's also like words. I can keep going here. You, you tell me when you're bored, but... What's the worst word? Joel, don't say it. Don't say what you want to say. The worst word in title is... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I wait, bet you get... can guess the word, worst word in wait, title. Uh, the letter U. Mm, no, let me see where that shows up. Uh, I may have filtered that out because I ignore one character word. Okay, let me... I'll get you another one. How about PLZ? That is bad, but not the worst. Wait, okay, I'll get one. Hmm? N-word? Okay, you're not allowed to guess anymore. The worst word is help. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. The second worst word was help. The worst word was website. In your title, having the word website, very bad. Interesting. Really? Yeah, I'll just read off. Okay, in your title, worst words, website, help, chat, site. Help, yeah, help. Anyone, program, Wait, learning. don't tell the people, then they'll be careful not to use these words when they're trying to get I'm their low-quality questions. anybody who bothers to listen to the podcast That's is true. probably a good question this is a, And also, this is the oh. perfect podcast. Along your <laughs> to do this, just this <laughs> please is bad. I'm yeah. without an apostrophe. That is pretty bad. Want me my following. There's also tags that are bad. PHP. Yeah. The so tag even if web. you're asking a PHP question, you should not tag it PHP. Is that correct? That Java actually is indicative of badness. Wait, um, wait, wait. You mean just asking a question about Java and tagging it Java is a sign of a bad question? 
it is indicative. It's not alone going to classify this as a bad question, but it means somebody. It's actually wow. makes it more likely to be a bad question than a good question. Surprisingly, surprising. strongly predictive. Yeah, people with problems in, in Java. It's is it because every question in Java has been answered, and therefore, if you can't figure it out by now, because Java is such a common language, if you it's can't the figure common it out by languages now. that end up being the highest predictor. So, on the other end, to really contrast strange. that, the ones that are on the predictive of goodness: uh, Dart, Go, D, Clojure, Scala, Haskell, <laughs> Emacs. Seriously, Java Emacs, 8, Java eight. So, specifying a particular Emacs. version of Java. A lot of that too, though it's it's wow. newer or more esoteric. NumPy, Rust, right? F. Emacs is not not Emacs, right? CocoaPods. So actually, using specific gonna... tags will cancel out the badness of using Java. So okay. if you just tag your thing Java, you're in trouble. If you tag it Java and some specific technology, wow. they'll probably cancel each other out. The tag it Java Emacs. That's right. Julia Lang, Perforce, Clojure Script. So there's a lot of things like that. So that's been pretty interesting. Wow. We're working on implementing wow. that. So the way this is going to go... I'll bet you anything Atlassian is a, is a negative indicator, right? Like Jira, Atlassian. Uh, Jira is slightly negative. Ha. <laughs> Let's look for fog bugs. It didn't make the... Fog bugs didn't make the cut. Didn't even appear in enough posts. Sorry. Okay. Hmm. So where this is going to go is we're going to now use this to start scoring questions. We're going to start feeding them into the low quality review queue kind of silently without telling anybody and see basically, is this a better predictor than the current low quality score? Do yeah. the things we think are bad actually get rated as bad? Do the things we think are good actually get rated as good and now, so on? We are using the low quality score, are we not, to, to tell people that ask a really bad question. Sorry, your question is just not accepted because it's really bad. Please okay, make it so better. So that's the other thing. So yes, we do use that right now. We, we say if it's below a certain threshold, we just don't allow it. I was always concerned it. about that because I always feel like that then people would literally just start doing random transpositions. That's right. Eventually so through. that's the thing we don't want to do. Okay, so there's going to be two different things that run here. We're going to use this and we're going to say, okay, what are the things you can actually teach you? And those are going to be hard blocks. So we say, hey, your question doesn't have any code. You should add some code, mm -hmm. right? That is actually... Something we want to tell you because we want to say you should add some code and teach you to add code. Conversely, your question has too much code. You should chop it down. So those are going to be actual like red error warnings. You can't submit this with this much code. Go add some code. What if you don't have code? Because I mean, your question is not about code. Yeah, so we may, not, we may not, that may be a warning, right? It's legitimate to ask a question with no code. Sure. But it's not legitimate to ask a question with 200, you know, 2,000. We actually blocked this already with yeah, 2,000 yeah, lines sure. of code and one line of text, right? Just say, we just don't allow code. Put it down. So, so there's going to be kind of hard blocks there and warnings where we think we can teach you. With like these random words, we don't want to warn you and say, hey, don't use the word thanks because all that teaches you to do is delete the word thanks. Thanks is predictive of a bad question. It's not actually what makes the question bad, right? Right. So we don't want to tell people that and say, don't use any of these don't words. Use the word thanks. thanks. Help. I'm. Right? Because that's just teaching you to delete those words. It doesn't teach you to be a what better What was the word asker. that was in the regex that I used to argue with Jeff about? It, was, it wasn't it was best know. or worst or something. Favorite? Favorite? No. Your. Your. Oh, no, no, no. The one you guys had that big fight. It was buttsicle. <laughs> no, no. Buttsicle was definitely. I, <laughs> there is I a, agreed to buttsicles are. There is a pretty awesome regex. The dingleberries it's, are okay. It's my favorite regex, but I can't read it because it. Yeah. It ends with a bunch of swear words. I can tell the it ends no, it with was your. a strange combination of It was your. We there's a did not allow questions test. where you wrote Y O U R. Your. Because we assume you meant Y O U apostrophe R. No, because there was an error in the regex that they wrote. They were like they didn't want you to say your favorite, but then the regex was written in a way where it was either your or favorite as opposed to just your favorite. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> it's Remember the that? comments flagged auto delete pattern. This is not the one you're talking about. The uh, okay. one that I'm talking about that <laughs> we block comments that match a pattern like accept, you know, plus or minus ends rate accepting. <laughs> Can I swear? I'm not going to say these words, but I could say the British one. Yeah. Couple American swear words: bollocks, wank. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the phrase "What have you tried?" Or the, or the URL, whathaveyoutried.com. Oh, oh, yeah, let me Google that for you. It was also on that list. Uh, that's right. in a different list, actually. LMG, but yes, that's yeah. also blocked. Okay. Okay, so we're trying to replace Ooh. these magic regexes. All right, so back to what I was saying. So what happens here is, okay, we block you and we warn you where we think we can teach you something. Otherwise, the rest of it, the rest of this algorithm is kind of a black box and runs secretly behind the scenes because we don't want to teach you to not just use these words. We want to kind of flag them and send them into the review queue for a, a human being to look at, mm -hmm. right? And we think what we're going to do there this is still up for debate, but we think what we're going to do there is that while it's in the review queue, it doesn't show up on the homepage. So things get through the review queue pretty fast, 15 minutes. So the idea is if you ask a question that's low quality, or at least flagged as low quality, it goes into this review queue. Mm. You don't get shown on the homepage. You still show up in searches, and if somebody really goes looking for your question, you can still see it. But you don't show up on the homepage until you pass through that review. Somebody in there says, this question's okay. Okay. To be clear, we're essentially trying to, I think, basically have a better understanding of which questions look low quality and need either to be stopped or helped and also identify specific things, David was saying, where we can give feedback. So part of it is basically if we can tell you right up front, like it doesn't look like you have enough description of your problem in addition to your code, mm -hmm. try adding more of that and you'll have a much better chance to get an answer. The user can self-correct. If instead we just have a whole bunch of everything you just described is not an actual problem, it's a heuristic for a problem. So if you have a whole bunch of indicators, we want to get it in front of our experienced users who can then either say, yes, this is unreadable and can't be saved, or make two edits to make it clear, right, to fix it if necessary, if they want to. And the key thing there is we're, we're trying to, we're shifting that behavior for the ones that are highest likelihood to have problems. We're shifting it away from the people who have chosen to go to the homepage and find questions where they can help people right. to people who have actively chosen to scan through questions and determine if they are bad and either say these are too bad to do anything with or try and fix them. So you no longer have this problem where people who are basically here trying to answer questions all day feel like they're being asked to fix or wade through obviously unanswerable in their current state questions. Okay, so Jay got his secret agenda item in there of yeah? filtering the bad questions in a different place. People that want the bad questions. Oh, good. Yeah, no, the important problem we have today is the people that are trying to answer questions feel like they're being charged with this other task they didn't sign up for, which I think is totally valid. Also cleaning up the right. trash. Right. And I got my feature, which was the questions don't just automatically have a right to get answered. I don't they know. should go through that's some. Right. That, that's right. That's kind of where this ends up. a little bit of a, the word I'm looking for, obstacle. Well, it's not path. exactly that. So this is not the feature where process. like questions from new users have to go into the new user ghetto before they can get graduated out. No. Here we are just looking, this quality score stuff is just looking at the content of your post. It's not looking at whether you're new or whether you have other things look at whether you have a bad history of posting questions. This is just, if the quality looks bad, we're going to send it to this queue where we're going to try to get it reviewed as fast as possible. If it's good, it goes to the homepage. No problem. If it's bad, it goes into, okay, you need to fix this before it shows up on the homepage. That's kind of the goal. If that works, that's a pretty big change to kind of the, the fundamental way the site's worked. So all this you can discuss on Meta. There's some existing discussions about this. You can post on Meta Stack Overflow is really the best place to talk about this. This is since this is primarily a Stack Overflow problem. Though there are other communities that are kind of interested in what we're doing here who have some quality problems, but Stack Overflow is the one with the big kind of volume problem. 
So if you have thoughts on this, you know, find the MetaPost or post your own MetaPost with uh, ideas. Cool. That's kind of the the state of things. Oh, the other thing we're doing there is we're going to clean up the review queues a little bit. There's a little bit of things that aren't ideal in there, especially around the low quality. In order to move this stuff faster, we're probably going to separate out questions from answers in the low quality queue. We may clean up the kind of actions that we're asking you to do there. Well, I think one thing we're finding as we look at this is there's a bunch of places that what things that amount to queues have a very mixed set of functions, right? So in these review queues, there's sort of a mix of things that we probably think need improvement and things that we think probably need to be sort of blocked, closed, or at least feedback that more information is needed mixed together, which may mean the people opting in aren't a good fit. I think similarly, one thing that we kind of realized as we were poking at this is the way we put things on the front page also has a little bit of a weird mix in that we basically surface new questions in the front page. We surface questions that have recently been edited or posts that have recently been edited. As, yeah. And that's one of those weird things where there's a very deliberate reason, right? We wanted more people to see it, to validate the edits and make sure they're right. right. But on some level, it makes a sort of question, like, do we really want our sort of most prolific answerers who are searching there, our visitors? There's a whole lot of people who are essentially seeing a significant number of questions on the front page that are basically asking for high rep users to confirm that edits are valid. They're not really relevant in, in a lot of cases to many of the people seeing them. And so we're looking at all these places where cues may be mixed, mm. including the front page, in ways. But that is a very important mechanism to make sure that people don't go and ruin our site by randomly editing old stuff. I mean, that's what spammers do, for right. example. Right. They need to be seen, right? They need yeah. to be seen by somebody and sort of peer-reviewed. Right now, we basically Not have three much. things that filter to front pages, right? So a new question goes to the front page, which makes sense. It needs answers, right? New answers go to the front page. When a new answer is added, that question appears on the front page. And I think that is very important to most people. Certainly anyone can vote, because one of the key things that should be happening when a new answer is added is the answers should be reconsidered for ranking, right? That new answer might be mm. better than an existing one. Someone thought they could beat the existing answers. But one question there is, should everyone visiting the site who can't vote see that on their front page or not? Maybe mm -hmm. they should. I don't know. But it's not, it doesn't do anything. Edits are another example where actually people who don't have the power to edit, there's almost no value in showing them recently edited questions on the front page. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Oh. So there is a downside to everyone seeing a different front page. We kind of like the idea of a shared experience. On Stack Overflow, that's not really the case anyway. Yeah, it hasn't been for a long time. But I think we're at a point where on a lot of sites, it may make more sense to have the front page. Those types of things may want to be bucketed at least only for those users for whom they're really relevant. Okay. Shall we take some questions from the audience? So we have another topic, but maybe we'll save it for the next podcast because I think it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast is completely And waste. so it won't fit in with this podcast <laughs> at all. We really don't want to put anything interesting at the end of that. I have uh, an interesting meta post I'd like to talk about. Okay. Bring to your attention, Joel. Oh, well, why don't you bring it up? see if I can find it. Uh, okay. Okay, so this is a really, really important question. This is meta stack overflow slash questions 261505. This comes from user Adam Arold, or Arold who asks... Is it true that if someone reaches 200,000 reputation, he, she gets a painting with a unicorn on it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the thing that we did for John Skeet. That, that's really the John Skeet unicorn painting more than all 200,000 rep users. So we are, we are working. I'm not really supposed to talk about this yet because it isn't all locked down and the design team hasn't really confirmed everything. But we've been running some illegal experiments to grow unicorns. And depending right. on how they turn out, we may have some new swag for 200k users. Yeah, the challenge here is really that every unicorn painting is unique. We don't want to just kind of mass produce these unicorn paintings and send them to everyone who gets 200,000 rep. We Isn't really there, wanna... Don't we have a factory in North Korea to do that? 
to paint new unicorns. Yeah, they, we're Pretty not allowed cheap. to talk about that. But, it's like the whole factory uh, cost two dollars and fifty cents, and then it's another thirty thirty three cents. Well, a month one of the reasons operate. that it's cheap is that outside of North Korea, unicorns don't exist. Yeah. So they have to imagine a horse and then draw a horn on it. But in North Korea, they can actually just draw from the real creature. Okay. Which lowers the production costs dramatically. How did we get this unicorn fetish at Stack Exchange? <laughs> Where did that come from? It started on Meta. And then I it think... It did? Yeah. Yeah. There was a... Oh. I think Unicornify was, was the uh, first moment. There no, was that was before. That was after. Unicornify. The, the Unicornify was an April Fool's... Th- I could be yeah. corrected. It was an April Fool's thing. No, no. Yeah. Before that one which was, there was, somebody wrote like this stupid little JavaScript plugin, which was one of the first of these where it just added like those like unicorn stickers to a website. Okay. So we made it so any action you took on the site added a bunch of those uh, when you like yeah, uploaded yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. This no, was so like a throwaway on. little April This is the beauty brain. of having a site where we create artifacts to track every trivial thing that's ever happened here. Mm-hmm. The many memes of Meta, which that is metastackexchange.com, question yeah. 19478. Many memes of, you can just Google many memes of Meta. And number five or six is unicorns, nay ponies, as, sure. as was edited in. Nay. There was Tony the Pony too. Because it started, it started. Tony I think, the Pony was a talk that John Skeet uh, gave at London Stack Overflow Dev Days. But the user formerly known as the TXI had a pony avatar, and there was also a lot of apparently the comment "I like ponies" was consistently interjected randomly into uh, into conversations. Yeah, so it started with ponies, but then we did the it's actually cornify, which Took it to added the new level. pictures yeah. of unicorns, and then it was Unicornify, which was the thing written by Falfa, who now works here largely because of this project. It's possible which our replaced everybody's replaced everybody's gravatar with a randomly generated unicorn. That was the thing. So that's where it started. Okay, you've gone and wasted another. Let's go with one hour of your life listening to Stack Exchange podcast sixty, recorded Tuesday, July eighth, twenty fourteen, at Stack Exchange headquarters. This podcast has been brought to you by the National Pepper Jack Cheese Council. Spicy, delicious, and buttery pepper jack cheese is semi-soft and open-textured with a slightly tart flavor. I'm Joel Spolsky for Jay Hanlon, David Fullerton, audio editor David Greenlee, ghost producer Abby Miller, and ex-producer Alex is peeling potatoes for tonight's dinner in the galley. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Edit this down to like 15 minutes. We'll take out the part where you fell on the floor for five minutes. If we remove your pratfalls and other (sighs) physical comedy, I think we'll be down to that. (laughs) Oh my god! Joel just fell out of his chair. He appears to be alive. (laughs) Joel just literally fell out of his chair. Oh my goodness. We're going to lose our OSHA certification for this podcast. Okay, let's take a call from the listener. <laughs> Can we rearrange this podcast so all that stuff is at the end, since the interesting stuff at the beginning, which we're going to do now? The, oh, yeah. this, is the, this is the interesting portion. Oh, you, no. You've brought something new then. Oh, I'm excited. God, this, is, oh. this is going to be interesting. We could talk about dinosaurs. Okay. 
I just think they're really interesting. This podcast is a dinosaur. It's okay. That was that didn't make any sense. So you're saying this podcast is awesome? <laughs>